Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. David, we hate you. David taught a class on hiring today. It was a good class. It yes, was a, it was. Yeah, I thought it was very, very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> All right. So, uh, kind of what we're going to talk about here is uh, post Laura Lee class. Here, were you in her class? I was in Laura Lee's class. What this is her first class ever. What did you think? She did a really good job. Um, best part about it, from my opinion, was that she brought a perspective from outside the industry. Yeah, I think that way too much we get kind of stuck in our own echo chamber, mm-hmm. and all we do is talk about the same stuff, same perspective, same, same yeah. shit, different day. Definitely, definitely. What tell us what your class was about? I talked about the beauty of branding. The um, beauty of branding. I don't think yeah. you're close enough to that microphone for. Hello. Uh, I'm gonna have to make some adjustments here, Laura Lee. This is just. Okay. Usually, um, you all tell me. I I'm hear too loud. nothing. Well, you're deaf. Huh? <laughs> Stop it. Did you say something? <laughs> huh? <laughs> is this better? <laughs> why? Why are you the way you are? You this is this about me. You see this? <laughs> you see this dude sitting over here at the end of the table? No. This is why I'm the way that I am. No, dipshit. I'm just sitting here talking for no reason. It has? It's usually when you're sitting behind the board that that happens. How many shows have you done and not pressed record? Oh, really? Okay. No, that's never happened. He's lost some, like, he's lost some, some recordings. <laughs> Like, no, didn't. <laughs> yeah, he's lost some. <laughs> okay, so tell us what your class was about. Um, I spoke on the beauty of branding from kind of like uh, the basis of like the beginning of putting your brand together all the way to rebranding and how it would affect your culture and your staffing and your clients and just all of it. Where'd you get this idea from? Branding is what I come from in my old role in cosmetics. And I'm a heavy consumer, so branding speaks a lot to me. I'm a complete brand whore, and I like labels. And Do we, do we miss the, the bar in automotive, you think? Yeah. 
Okay. I do. I don't think there's enough branding at maybe some shops, but I spend a substantial amount of time on the web looking at shops. And I think that branding is just something that's maybe looked over because it's such a technical industry and there's a bunch of dudes running around that spin wrenches. They don't care about branding. Right. I can see that. What, what was your takeaway from the class, Nathan? Um, biggest takeaway on it was that, one, I got a lot of work to do. Okay. Um, I don't really have a brand. I have a logo. Yeah, of course. Um, other than that, like I said, it was really, it was fascinating to me to hear the uh, uh, perspective from outside of our industry. Yeah. Because other industries do a lot more with branding than we do. Yeah. We're very a lot of small shops that we kind of just, we fix cars, we worry about what our own immediate customers, Mm -hmm. but there's no consistency to most of what we do. Right. Um, It's like I, after she asked us to look at our Google reviews and I looked at mine and realized I have old pictures of my old sign on my Google, my business page. Really? So that's something that I need to fix when I get back to the shop because it should be consistently everything should look the same. Of course. But I've got a mix of a 20-year-old logo and a one-year-old one year, one year old logo. Well, and so let me ask you some questions about that then. what When you look at branding, what is it that you have really decided to bring to the shop? I mean, have you ever considered that we need to brand the shop? Have you ever considered that, I mean, or did you just say, well, I'm a tech and I'm, I can work on cars and what I do is fix cars, so I'm just going to put this logo up and say I fix cars. We got into a massive argument. I don't know if you watched that last video. We got into a massive effing argument a while back because, like, I'm talking about, hey, you need insurance and you need this for this guy starting this mobile business, and David's like, F that. You're, you're effing crazy. And I'm like, why? And he said, well, because you, you don't need any of that if you don't have clients. And he's got a pretty damn good point. Right. No, I I never thought about it in terms of like a global branding thing. Okay. I would think of it more as like an immediate thing of send out some advertisements. Um, I understood my, my dad ran a liquor store in a small okay. town. And from that, our idea of marketing was it was our family, it was our store, and what we did in person in the in the store and how we talked to people and how we knew everybody, that was our marketing. Okay. So I approached my shop mainly a lot of the same way. Um, when a customer comes in, hey, Joe, hey, Sam, one of the things that I did to differentiate myself from a franchise or a dealership was I would remember my customers' names. Right, of course. I would have a do my best to have a nice, clean waiting room, have a clean shop, I wanted a place that people were comfortable with. And after a few years here, I started to kind of realize that in a large part, really the I am the brand. Right. They bring their car to Nathan. Yeah. But I never really, I still struggle with the idea of having a consistent brand. Um, Laura Lee talked about posting on five different social media platforms. I'm lucky if I put a Facebook post up on the shop once a month. If that, right? Yeah. And Google My Business, um, other than responding to reviews, is largely ignored. I, I, I'm the same way. I have no idea what to post. I have no idea what to say. So, well, and and you know, I was kind of guilty of the same thing because you get busy doing what the business does, right? right? And and it doesn't feel like you have the time 
to do these other things. Laura Lee, what do you think when you hear him say that? Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. Because you kind of came into a shop that was... Mm-mm. My bad, homie. Listen, man. It was just a name that people could recognize. I didn't know any better. And really, at the end of the day, it's just like Nathan said, it's not scalable at a certain point. I think we're all starting to realize why she's so mean to you. Hmm? I think (laughs) we're all starting to realize why she's so mean to you. And so tell us now, what what do you think when you hear them say that? Nathan, I can help you with your Facebook posts. (laughs) I'm sad for you. Um, I think it's something you have to make time for. It's not an option. Uh, you need to spend some time setting up posts. And at this point, we're so digital, you can just sit down for an hour and pre-plan them out for a year. You what, know? what do you think about hiring somebody to do those things? I think if you're not capable and creative, you should absolutely outsource that. Absolutely. Okay. Be careful. And it doesn't have, like, <clears throat> as long as you give them the parameters and the guidelines of what you need the brand to look like and do and feel then hand it over. But if there's going to go like rogue and post, then what if you don't have a brand at all though? What if, what if you are your, your logo? Then you're in your very precarious place. (laughs) Um, it's hard. It's not hard for growth. I guess if you do it right, but if you mess up or if you sell or you do go off the, you know, wagon in some way, the whole brand is tanked. You know, you've ruined all your work. Of course. So I think you had a or like a podcast recently about building just your business around just you. Yeah. And I think that's a, a huge misstep. Well, and I, I have I have done that. And, we have and done we, that. We we were just talking just a little bit ago that like the forums and the, the Facebook groups and stuff like that. I remember um years ago there were a series of shops and there were performance shops. They sold performance parts. And what they did was is they built this entire brand that they worked on this brand diesel truck and they sold parts for this brand diesel truck. And so what ended up happening is eventually they had a little misstep somewhere 
And this misstep turns into somebody getting on one of those forums and trashing them, which then turns into everybody trashing them. And so when you only promote to one group, right? We talk about specialization sometimes. When you only promote to one group and and one demographic and you make a misstep, especially if it's a powerful thing like a Facebook group or like a, man, you can absolutely screw up big time. Whereas at least if you're diversified and more people know about that brand and they recognize that brand as more than just one thing, it's not as dangerous. But I mean, like, and and I want to say it was Scott Palava who was telling us about a, a local shop. And it, I think it was an ice cream shop or something where dude did something crazy and it put him out of business just like that. I mean, and I... I want to be careful about saying that because we talk all the time about how one simple little mistake is not going to put you out of business. But not branding your business for 10 years and expecting your logo to be your brand and nobody knows about you aside from the clients that are coming through the door and you're not advertising or marketing at all, that's dangerous. Yeah. You know, that's as dangerous as it gets. Now, what I've been doing over here is I'm messing around and looking at all kinds of stuff over here. I'm looking for something because I, this is something I got sent the other day. Okay. And you brought it up and this is, this is from your area of expertise. We're going to see if we can get it to play on the show. And I just want to hear your feedback on this. Okay. Okay. And we're going to talk a little bit about what we're charging and why we're charging what we're charging. Okay. Sure. And we're going to see how loud this is, but I just want to know what you think about this. And so we've got to go back here and click some buttons around. And we're just going to do this right here. Let's make sure we get the... From Puerto Rico, I in charge. Okay, we're going to go back here. Where are you from and how much are you charging for a full highlight? I'm based in Houston, Texas, and I charge around $600 for a full highlight toner and blow dry. I am originally from Los Angeles, California. Recently moved to Las Vegas. I was charging $900. i am in San Clemente. We range from 350 to 650. I live and work out of New York City. I charge between 200 to 300. I'm from Detroit, Michigan, and a full highlight is between 3 and 350. I'm in Boston, and I charge 500 for a full highlight starting by the hour. I am from Fayetteville, Arkansas, and a full highlight starts at 350. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and my full highlight starts at 700. From Puerto Rico, I charge uh, 150. I'm located in Arcadia, Iowa, and my highlight starts at 155 for the base price. From Fort Collins, Colorado, and I charge uh, 200 to 250. I'm from Frisco, Texas, and about 395. Philadelphia, PA. Now look, here's the thing. I, I know this is a completely different thing and and people want things like their hair done or whatever and i get that but you as a shop owner what does that feel like when you hear that because we've got shop owners who are absolutely terrified to tell somebody they're going to charge them 170 dollars to look at their vehicle and you just heard these people talking about getting their hair done and it was 500 dollars. what does that feel like to you I think that we have a huge problem in, the, in our business with people with a lack of training and lack of confidence to be able to charge what they should charge. Um, and I think a lot of it comes from technicians becoming shop owners. Yeah. We have a lot of technicians that never get any training on being a service writer yeah. until they open their own shop and they're making it up as they go. Yep. Technicians make terrible service writers. 
because they started fixing their own car because they weren't going to pay retail to start with. Yeah. I became a technician because I was too damn broke to fix my car. Right. So I had to fix it myself. Yep. And it took me, it was a big struggle for me when I went from technician to service writer to get used to what retail prices were. Right. Because when you're working in the back, you don't know that. You just fix the car. You know how many hours a, a job pays, but it doesn't really translate into how much value there is to the customer for fixing that car. Right. And it was kind of a big turning point for me when, one, I got some training, and that helped a lot. And two, you just start talking to people outside of non-technicians. Talk to people who have to get their car fixed. Yeah. And realize that they really it's not $250 for a battery. It's $250 to know that their car is going to start when they get off the airplane exactly. and it's 2 a.m. and they have to drive home. Yeah. So now that $250 is that's really reasonable. We you know, we've had a lot of conversations in ASOG lately around how to present this. Because this is not just as simple as saying, you know, because I did the same thing. When I first started learning about raising my prices, I, I've got some stories, right, where I, I, I went out and somebody said, hey, you need to bill by the hour and you need to charge more per hour and you need to charge for how much time you've got in testing. I didn't put any of the nuance in it. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I didn't put any of the work in that says, hey, here's how I explain this and here's how we're going to communicate to the client and make sure they understand and get the prior approval. And, boys, I will never forget. And it it should have it, it was a $400 bill. I, I still remember this day. It's $411.41, okay? <laughs> and and I did not get prior authorization, right? So you, what do you always hear me harp about? Like you always, 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 it doesn't matter what it is, you get prior authorization before it goes up one penny. It can go down as much as it needs to go down, but before it goes up one penny, you get authorization, right? And you communicate with them about what that is. And so it took almost... Five hours of testing, and I thought, well, I don't feel right charging him five hours for this because at the end of the day, while it was just a fuse, we did things to verify it wasn't going to blow again, and we fixed a wire, and we did all this other stuff. But in the consumer's eyes, because of the way I explained it, I charged him $400 to change a fuse, right? And so it's not just being able to go to them and say, your bill's $400. Yep. It's being able to present that in a way that they understand it makes sense and that you show them the value. That's your responsibility as owner. And so when you hear that, right, because that was the field that you came from, not necessarily yeah. hairstylist or No, but I've worked inside of hair. Right. But, but so what does that feel like to you when you hear that? Because you've been, <laughs> you've been harping on all of us, right? <laughs> I caught a lecture a while back because, you know, like, what was it that, that you know, you've charged like $600 an hour to bring out your little baggie no, of stuff? No, it's not that much. <laughs> But, no, I charge I I charge one hundred and fifty dollars an hour just to show up at your house to do some makeup, and that gets you an hour of my time. Anything past that, you're paying me additional hours of my time, unless you want to book me for a day, and then I'm a twelve hundred dollar day rate. Well, so I mean, I guess that at the end of the day, that's my question: is like, why is it that it seems in automotive that that's not acceptable? Why is it that so many shops are looking at this and saying we can't do this? When, when this other industry that, I mean, reliable transportation is something very important. Like getting your hair done, I guess that's kind of cool. Uh, Nathan, you probably wouldn't Yeah, you're, you're talking to the wrong guy here. Uh, 
<laughs> what about you? You look pretty preppy and prissy. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like, I, I will say that my wife's haircut costs more per hour than what I charge. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. And so what, what, what I, makes that okay? I mean, it seems like we have to bring, I'm not saying they're not talented. I, they're, nope. they're really talented people. I mean, the, um, sheer excellence in Charlotte, you can spend a thousand dollars in an hour in there, like nobody's business. And, and so why is it that we have such a problem with that? I'm going to say this and I'm going to get reamed probably, but I think shop owners are scared. I agree with you. I just think they're scared. I think they think with their own pockets. Yeah. And that isn't really the way to do business at all. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And I, there's so much of the conversation about like, Oh, my economic area. Oh, this is where I am. Oh, people are poor around me or this is how much money they make. But in reality, that doesn't really ever matter or stop a consumer from spending on what they want to spend on. Right. And I know this because I was telling him one of my friends dearly needs brakes on her car, but she used $1,500 to go buy a Taylor Swift ticket and denied the brake job. The value wasn't in the brakes. Right. The value was to go see Taylor Swift. Yeah. She's going to crash her car soon because she ain't got no brakes and now she ain't got no money because she's spending on Taylor Swift. And then it's going to cost her more money in the long run. Yeah. And, and she bought like course. $450 worth of gear while she was there, like Swifty gear, <laughs> you know? Right. So it's like they put money where they put value and fun and interest. And auto care is not fun or interesting. I I don't disagree. I, oh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, you're 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 absolutely right. I mean, it's not even fun on our on my side of the counter. So yeah, I mean, how can it be fun for them? I I've, I've got a friend, and and we've talked a little bit about this back and forth. Um, who just absolutely got raked over the coals on Facebook the other day. It was rough. <laughs> it was bad. And um, and I was talking to them, and they said, "Well, my my labor rate is eighty dollars an hour. How in the world? How in the world am I supposed to like do any better than this? Because I can't." I can't continue to go on. All these people are mad because I'm overcharging them. And like, you're telling me you're charging more. I'm like, of course I'm charging more because the people you got in your shop are the wrong people to begin with. Right. Because that's what they're looking for. And they're, you know, look, when you take somebody who is in poor financial shape and, and you make them spend money, they're going to look for everything they possibly can. You tell them that car is blown up. They're going to be looking for anybody they possibly can to say, this is your fault. I need your help with this, right? I don't think it's intentional. I think in a lot of ways it's that they're so frustrated. They don't see an out. They don't have any money. And so they've got to find somebody to blame because that's that's overwhelming. That sucks. And I get that. But here this guy is. He's charging 80 bucks an hour. Well, we talk about finesse, right, and talking about the right way to do things. Well, they're charging $80 an hour to change light bulbs. They're charging $80 an hour to put a wheel hub in. They're charging $80 an hour to do testing. And so I think it, it's a miss on multiple labor rates, right? He should really have multiple labor rates so he under he can he can make sure that clients aren't getting taken advantage of for really low skill work. I've, I'm a big advocate of, of multiple. Hey, everyone, it's Lucas. I'm sorry to jump in, but I thought it was important to come and say this. 
You know, I'm often asked, why do we always talk about Kim and Brian Walker and shop marketing pros on the show? It's because we genuinely believe in their product. Why do I use them for my own marketing? In fact, they're building me a new website right now. It's not cookie cutter. I kept getting on Facebook and every shop looked the exact same. I didn't want to be that. And it's not just that. It's that they're part of your team. When you hire them to do your marketing, they get to know you. They know what you believe. They know what you say and they know why you do what you do. And they share that with your clients. That's huge. And beyond all of that, probably the most important factor in all of this is they stand behind their work. So don't wait. Go today and get your free marketing analysis from Shop Marketing Pros. They're genuinely our friends and they're genuinely here to help shop owners have a better life. Click on the link in the show notes for your free marketing analysis today. That's right. It's free. doesn't cost you a dime. Labor rates. But I also think that if you're a shop owner who doesn't know how to apply and implement these strategies, you got to be careful about jumping out and just dropping these strategies out and saying, I'm going to go with it. Right? You got to know how to do it. Yeah. Strategy. Oh, absolutely. Um, And you have to provide, you can't just go from $80 to $200. You have to provide $200 worth of value. Um, I'm in a major metro area here in Denver. It's freaking expensive to live here. My labor rate's right at $200 an hour, and I'm not on the high end of things. Yeah. But I also have a labor rate of $65 an hour for my oil change. Yeah. Um, And that's the labor rate I use for rotating tires, for changing an air filter, and for changing oil. Right. And if I'm going to be doing some complicated electrical testing, I'm probably cloud charging closer to $270 to $300 an hour. Right. Because that's a test that is more valuable. Yeah. So in the, the shop owners have to, first they have to believe in the value of what they're doing. They have to believe that that brake job is worth $650. Yeah. And they have to get out of their own pocket mm-hmm. because they would never pay $650 because they would buy the parts at wholesale. They would do the labor themselves. To, so for them, a brake job is hundred bucks worth of parts. Yeah. But for a customer that doesn't know how to change their brakes, that might as well be building an airplane. Yeah. So it's incredibly valuable for them to be able to stop when they get to a stop sign. Yeah. Um, Sure. We have some pretty high mountains here. Nobody wants to fall off of them. Yeah. (laughs) So. I mean, I I don't know. But um, so tires and brakes, yeah, very very valuable. And there was a Facebook post about somebody who was talking about being too expensive on a set of brakes. That I, I, I would have been. You're saying that I'm sitting here thinking the know, same thing. I mean, I would have been two to three times that cost. Yeah, and my customers will pay it without thinking twice because one. I've built up some trust. They they know that I'm not going to recommend anything that they don't need. Yeah. And they know that if I tell them that this is what it costs to do the job correctly and to provide a quality repair with my three-year warranty, they pay it. Yeah. Because they want their car to stop when they're coming down from right. 
they're coming down from the mountains at 70 miles an hour. Yeah. And they they need to be able to stop. Yep. Well, and and you know when you walk when you walk back through that post and you look at all the different comments and and some guys that that 2 years ago would have never ever thought about charging that. I, one of the things that I've noticed about this and and I've I've paid quite a bit of attention over the, the past couple of months. We're at Ratchet and Wrench 2023. You go to some of these training events and you look at some of these coaching companies. You've you've long said that you're uncoachable, right? 100% right. can't be coached, not going to happen, right? And so I wonder if some of these focuses that have been placed on our industry are placed in the wrong place by accident, okay? And what I mean by that is, a lot of these coaching companies and a lot of these events are built for bigger shops. They're built for a five, a six, a 10 base shop, right? You know, the class I'm teaching tomorrow is about a small shop. Why? Well, because some people don't want a big shop. Some people are completely content in a three base shop or a four base shop. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. I have seen more shops fail by coming out of a, of a small shop, a two or a three base shop that they never optimized or maximized what it was capable of in the first place. And then they go into a 10 or 15 bay facility and they didn't know what they were capable of in the small shop. Right. I'm not saying I would go back. We were at your shop yesterday. Beautiful shop, by the way. Thank you. I'm not saying that I would go back and I would trade for the smaller shop, but we lost some stuff. We lost some efficiency. We lost some productivity when we came out of that shop and went into the big shop. And so I think in a lot of ways, the small shop's been discounted. And, and nobody has been there to train them. Nobody's been there to say, there's a better way to do this. You can do this in a small shop, and this can work. A lot of the strategies that are taught today, and I'm not trying to throw shade at any of the coaches or anybody else, a lot of the strategies that are taught today are tough in a small shop. It's hard to make it work. And I, man, I, I learned that firsthand because a lot of what I was trying to do was what I was seeing in these groups and seeing what everybody was saying. Some of the things that work in a 10 bay shop do not work in a three bay shop. No, because there's, there's things that you have to be able to scale. Yeah. You can't do, if you're, if you have a business model that some of the coaching companies push and a lot of them, Almost all of them push for the idea of either multi-shop ownership or absentee ownership. So that means you have to have enough volume to pay a manager, to pay a service writer, probably two service writers, and probably five technicians. You, a lot of these strategies don't work for a sub-million dollar shop. Yeah. And before I bought my shop, I managed a million and a half dollar shop. So... For me, it was a huge struggle to figure out how to run a one in a two-man shop right? because everything that I knew was, was from a big yeah. shop. And I tried to replicate it, and I almost went out of business in the first two years because I was trying to do something that wouldn't work on the scale of what I had. Yeah. So like when we talked earlier about branding, and but the brand of my shop is largely take it to Nathan. Right. And that works in a three-bay shop. Yeah. Because yeah. for a three-bay shop, it's never going to be big enough for me to be an absentee owner. Right. There will never be a face other than mine that will be the face of my shop for a three-bay shop. Let me ask you about this, though. 
what what if something happens to Nathan? What if something happens and you can't work anymore? What if, I mean, what it I've said often, well, you got to build value into your organization to where if you have to sell it, you can sell it. Or that if something happens to you, it can continue to make money. What do you think when I say that? Like what is it, what comes to mind when that? Um, I'm not big enough for that. If something were to happen to me in the, say the next few years, um, the shop's done, the business is dead. End of story. How does that, how does that feel though? I mean, are you okay with that? Is um, that... I've accepted it as the reality of the situation. Okay. So, but one of the reasons why I went from a one man shop to a two man shop a couple of years ago was the idea. Well, if I break my arm, I'm out of business. If yeah. I break my leg, I'm out of business. Um, so now I'm at a point now where if I was permanently disabled, yeah, the shop's done. If I gotta, if I gotta be out for two weeks or three weeks, um, the guy I got working for me, he can run it. Yeah. If I hire, if I grow a little bit more and I hire a second person, then the shop can run for a short period of time without me. Yeah. What's the struggle would be, would be to replace myself with a person that has to be paid a salary and then still have enough money to be profitable after I replace myself. Right. To be able to pay yourself in the whole nine yards. Yeah. Because for a two or a three bay shop with one, two technicians, it's hard to have to generate enough profit to pay for a manager in addition to paying for an owner. So does that mean that you put different protections in place so if something does happen, I mean, do you have some type of insurance or something that, that if something happens to you, I mean, what, yes. what's your sustainability then? Yes. So I have a disability insurance. Okay. If I get hurt and I'm disabled for the rest of my life, it will pay me a certain amount of money every year, basically replace the income okay. from the shop. Um, I would just sell the business, liquidate assets, and basically walk away from it. Okay. Um, I have... We have, like I said, I have disability insurance. I have life insurance. So, and I contribute to retirement plans because largely at the size that I am, I still own a job. Yeah. So I treat it as a job. I invest in retirement as if I was an employee. Right. Because at this point, my business isn't valuable enough to sell. Right. And there's really... I don't think there's anything wrong with that at this point. It's just you have to recognize it because I see yeah, if you don't, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. Yep. Because I yeah. I see posts, I see advertisements, I see people trying to sell a business and they want five hundred thousand dollars, but the business is worthless. Yeah. Because the business revolves entirely around one person. Yeah. And it's not ideal situation. It's I wouldn't actually if anybody's wanting to open their shop and get into this, I would say make a plan to get past where I'm at right now. Otherwise, you know, it's, it's a little sketchy. Yeah. But recognize where you're at. Don't make a plan based on a fantasy. Right. Well, I mean, that that's a big thing. And, and you know, I don't necessarily want to say switching gears, but, like, you look at what you guys just went through and the, the huge change, Right. 
you're you're always like right near something happening in a bad way where you could lose a major staff member, you could lose a, a critical employee, and the shop can be dramatically affected overnight. Now, David and I have talked many different times about like this constant churn of whether we like it or not. And, and you know, the keynote speaker today said, you know, my, my average ten, tenure is 14 years. But there, what he doesn't say is that's average. And so there's some in there mm-hmm. that I've turned over five and six times. Mm-hmm. And that's, that sucks, right? And the constant churn of having to do that wears you out. How do you guys feel about that now that you kind of you're on the other side of this? But there were some talks about doing something different business wise when everything was going down and it was such a mess and things sucked. Yeah. Looking back at this now, how do y'all feel about that? Is is would you rather be in a smaller shop or you you thinking, look, I'm going to continue to grow this thing. We're going to get into something bigger. We're going to do something better and build into that resilience some structure where we can have the manager because you guys kind of want to be absentee owners, right? I would like to work less. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, you just you just open the door to uh, just. I mean, she's not going to let you work less. You know that, right? She's one that never shows up to work. I'm I work, the absentee owner. <laughs> but then I see a picture on Facebook of her chilling on the deck. Did you catch that? Yes. <laughs> you caught that. Now, you've got dinner with these two later. Hmm? You've got dinner with these two later. Yes. And so I just want to point out to you. That if he goes missing, you're an accomplice. Okay? Let's be real about this. Good to know. Me yeah. and Dana have a plan <laughs> tonight. Okay, if you both go missing, I know nothing. <laughs> right. Uh, this episode will never be released, but I mean, seriously, what, what's, what's the strategy from here then? I mean, at this point, I want to scale. I've definitely changed. Uh, We've changed, changed what that looks like, though. Wait, tell so. us how. Tell us, tell us what changed. Culture, people. I mean, but I mean, what changed with your plan? Right, you you had an idea of what it was it yeah, was going to be before. What's different about now? So when you're going down that dark path, right, you see nothing but negative. Yeah, and the only thing you can think about is I got to go work for somebody. I'm yeah. done. It's over. Right. Uh, you don't see anything positive forward moving, and then when you do finally see that light. And you get a bit of stress relief. You know, you kind of can get a little clearer picture of what do you really want to do? Yeah. And, you know, Cecil really helped me. Hey, man, you got to figure out what you want to do here. You know, I do. I do the same thing every other shop owner does. I go back and forth. Yeah. Um, Working for myself is just more appealing. Uh, I have a really good thing going, too. I have a good sized shop. We have pretty decent people. Um, so at this point, you know, I would like to max my shop out and right. then maybe potentially buy a couple more. Gotcha. You well, know, that, sorry, we wanted three shops. That was what the goal was, was three shops yeah. that we were going to build ground up our shops. Mm-hmm. And, we, and the one we have now would be the like flagship shop, right? Yeah. But now I think the plan is that we don't necessarily want three shops. We just want to buy all the local shops and make them our shop. There you go. I So that keynote speaker this morning, right? I, I was sitting there thinking, and I almost wanted to ask a question, but didn't end up asking it. I was sitting there thinking, how do you develop 
a vision for what he's done with his organization. Okay. And, and I've noticed that, that owners who come from a, a parent or a family business, they take a different trajectory business wise than someone who comes from, I'm starting my own shop. Okay. So like the guys that mom and dad owned a shop and they gave them the shop or they inherited the shop, however it worked, they typically go multi-store, right? It's very common for them to be multi-store and they typically take it and run with it. And and they find success usually, not all of them, but a lot of them do. The independent owner that has never been in a repair shop aside from being a technician or something like that, they typically have a lot harder time finding the destination that they want to head to. They have a harder time saying, in five years, I want to be here. And this is what that looks like. And here's how much money it takes to do this. And in 10 years, I want to be here. And so I don't know if that's a byproduct of, you know, you grow up in a shop, you see the mistakes mom and dad make, you see all the things that they did, and you say, I can improve upon this. And if I improve upon this and I see all these things, I can take this and I can implement this system I have in my head. Look at Mike Allen, right? Multi-store, very successful. Dad owned a shop. Mike's story literally is, I saw the mistakes that that were happening. I saw where we were missing and I grew up in elite coaching. I grew up in these, these programs and I was seeing and I could see where dad was missing it. I could see what he wasn't doing because I was so exposed to the negative in it that I could realize if I just did X, it would work. Those of us starting shops typically are not seeing that vision that far out like that. Why do you think that is? You don't get that thousand foot view when you're growing up through the business, you know? The only thing you have to go off of is where you've worked at prior. Right. Which is why we continually generate poor shops because they typically leave because it's a poor shop, right? Right, and so they create in turn a poor shop, and yes. so we just have this. Well, because they, you don't know any better, you don't know no. what you don't know, right? Well, I think one of the good dynamics about us is because I don't come from auto care. Yeah. So when I walked in, I was coming from like business, and so I could see holes like all over the place that weren't yeah. going on. We had a, he had such a good like solid shop with good technicians and good customers. But I was like, friend, we could make this really big if we just did X, Y, Z. Yeah. But he didn't see those things because that he doesn't have, um, you know, he didn't have a business education background. He didn't have a marketing background and a branding background. So I came in and helped out with those things and we were able to like kind of move the mark because of well, two not, very different perspectives. I think you're not blinded by commonalities in our industry yeah. either. Yeah. It's a fresh eyes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's like even my dad owned small business. So you would think that maybe I would have a little bit more, but no, my dad owned two little stores and he was always running them. He worked 80 hours, 90 hours a week. So like until you know that it's possible to get out of that, out of that rot for a better for lack of a better term, you don't have the imagination to figure out, oh, well, I can get over here. Yeah. Until you can imagine that you can get over there, then you then you can start looking at, oh, how do I get there? Um, it's why I think there's so much value in some of the, like the ASOG Facebook group, because right. 
people get their they get their feelings hurt when Seth Larson comes out <laughs> and says, "Oh, I made a million dollars last month." Right. Right. But until you have a Seth Thorson that has three shops that are doing a million dollars in a month, I'm, I'm not even sure if that's what he's yeah. doing, but then you start thinking, well, wait a minute, if this guy can do it, how did he get there? Right. What can I do? Um, so it's, it's like there was a guy who can't find employees. Yeah. And then we, a couple of us looked up his website and his Facebook page and saw his yeah. shop and that is like, Dude, this is this is what the problem is. Right. Hopefully he gets over being butthurt. Yeah. And looks at it and goes, wait a minute, these other guys did this. Right. If somebody else can do it, I can do it. We see a lot of butthurt. You know, as mo- as moderators, we see a lot of butthurt. Oh yeah. We saw mm-hmm. a lot a lot of hurt feelings and we see some people get like pretty ridiculously petty and mean and and work at a big shop. When you before you started your own? No. No? Did you work in a small shop? No. Did anyway. you ever work in a big shop? I one time managed twenty two technicians. Did so they all get butt hurt a lot? There was constant drama with yep. that many people. Um when I had when I was managing a reconditioning department, a used car dealer, I had twenty two technicians, two tow truck drivers, three porters, a couple of parts people. We were constantly hiring. Somebody was calling in sick every once a week, there was drama with boyfriends, drama with girlfriends, drama. But, yeah, nobody was ever, always getting along. So, and I guess this is probably a really good management lesson, is you have to learn when to ignore the noise. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. when somebody's butthurt about something, it's okay to just let them vent. Yeah. You don't have to address everything. Yeah. And even when you go to conferences like this or anywhere, you get shop owners talking, somebody's going to get their feelings hurt, Yeah, especially sure. if we're sitting around the bar and yep. somebody's had a few drinks and somebody's got their feelings hurt about something. Yeah, for sure. But you don't always have to react to it. And sometimes if you said about it a little later, you realize, yeah, maybe they were right. Well, you know, we've, we've, we've done that with some people in ASOG, right, to where we've kind of let it cool down and they yep. come back and they're chill and they're like, you know, probably missed the bar. We've had some who absolutely refuse to listen to any voice of reason at all. Anything that disagrees with what they believe right now is a problem, right? And and to each their own, I guess, right? It doesn't matter. It's just that I find it so interesting that, that there are so many people, ju- I mean, just in the confines of ASOG, who are exposed to this information and this knowledge, yet they're still head down fixing cars. They're still marching forward fixing cars. I know this other shop owner that was completely head in the sand when things were going sideways at the shop. And the worst thing, the, the worst that things got at the shop, this dude just like continued to bury his head in his ass. It's easier to put Is your head me? down and keep working. Is it me? me. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> might be you. Could be us. It's maybe me. <laughs> I wouldn't say I was burying my head in the sand, but it's just an element of stress my brain didn't want to deal with, I guess. No, I mean, that's the thing, right? Is because it's hard, right? And, and like, to get through it, like, you, what do they say? You got to go through hell to get to heaven, right? Like, you got, like, you have to march through it. 
and the only so many reason I got through it is because of that gal over there. For real. Yeah, I, I, I can mean, agree. She, no, I mean, man, she she's a good weeder. She I, is, though. I don't disagree. When you threaten someone with death, I mean, you <laughs> typically take off and do a good right. job. I, I mean, can't even get mad because I started all this crap. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no I, mean, I mean, she, seriously, she was yeah, a voice of reason under high-stress situations. And I, I'll be honest, sometimes at the very end, I had to calm her down quite a bit because she's just... I was no longer just the voice the, of reason. Done, man. You know, your brain yeah. just turns it off. Well, but I mean, like, that's just it is like, some of these shops have have consciously made the decision. I'm not. I'm just going to sit over here where it's semi comfortable. This sucks. The dumpster is definitely on fire. I am sitting in the dumpster. It is floating down shit creek, literally. And I'm going to sit here and pray to God something changes yeah. without taking action or doing anything about it. Right? I mean, we've seen quite a bit of that. Mm-hmm. You get scared and you freeze up. Some, well, some people do. And human beings can get used to just about anything. Yep. They will convince themselves that whatever situation they're in is, oh, this is normal. It's okay. Yeah. Instead of, because it's, if you got to fix the problem, it's scary. Yeah, it is. And, because you don't want to, you don't want to break it worse. Right. You don't want to make it worse. Um, You know, it was for my shop, COVID ended up being really good. Yeah. And it's because when COVID hit and people stopped driving, everything kind of, I had to really focus on who is my customer? Yeah. Who was I for as a shop and what was I going to do? Because just sitting there waiting for things to change didn't seem like a good option to me. Yeah. So I'm sitting there in an empty shop. Because we were essential employees, so we go back to work. But nobody else around me, none of my customers were at work. So none of them were driving. So I'm sitting there filling out a 1,000 postcards to send out to all my customers to tell them, I'm open. Yeah. We're here. I had customers bring in cars for maintenance items that they weren't due for. Yeah. Just to try and, yeah, yep. same thing for us. So that was what was really, just really focused on who is my customer. Yeah. And that was the, this is why I'm, this is what a relationship business means. Yeah. As opposed to, I wasn't sending out oil change coupons. I wasn't sending out mm-hmm. anything yeah. transactional. It was just, we're here. Yeah. And my customers, my community responded. So that was really focused on, okay, so this works. This is because that was a change that I had to make. There was really committing to, of course, that. Yeah. But until I was faced with sitting there with an empty shop and no phone ringing and no cars on the road, it was like, okay, I got to change. I got to do something here. You know, you say that, right? So something I've been thinking about lately. I remember the hardest times in my shop, like when I was super stressed out. And I remember thinking to myself, if I could just get all these cars fixed, right? I just want to get these cars fixed. And once I get this done, everything will be okay. And once I get these cars out, I'll feel better. 
and I'll have some free time and I can clear my head and I can breathe and then then I'll get things straightened up. And once I get things straightened up, everything will be okay. And I went through that cycle probably 15 times. And then I would slow the shop down and get all the work out. I'm like, all right, ah, I feel so much better. And I'll never forget my coach at the time saying to me, Lucas, you don't want to get rid of your problems because if you get rid of your problems, you're dead. What you want is better problems. And, and let's talk about what those better problems are. And so at the time, I didn't really dig into that thought process. But now I've seen a lot. I see the signs of it with a lot of the shops that I know and a lot of the shops I talk to, right? Because what are they saying? Oh, I'm just so busy right now. I just got to get called up. and I just Right? And what are they trying to do? They're trying to get through the cars that they have, and then they slow down and okay, I can breathe. Well, the problem is, is they never build sustainability into the business, right? Because the business has to, in perpetuity, fix cars. It is going to fix cars forever. And those problems that come with fixing cars are always going to be there. You're not going to do anything about that. They're always going to happen. And so why not begin to talk about what those problems are and fix them instead of waiting until I have time to do something about it? But I've seen so many people do that, right? Right. It it took a pandemic for you to have enough time to sit down and say, like, hey, i got to rethink this son of a bitch, right? Like, this is crazy. Well, I do think at least one positive thing with COVID was that you could sit down and take time to regroup and dream again about yeah. who you were. And I think we have a lack of dreamers in the industry, whether they're blocking out any futuristic dreams because they are so busy trying to get cars in and out or they are busy staffing or whatever, putting out fires. But you, you know, have to keep dreaming. And COVID gate, I could wrote pages and pages during COVID. I felt so burnt out prior and we came out with tons of event ideas and marketing ideas. And that, so that was good because I got a chance to kind of breathe and dream again. You know, for me, I think looking back, um, it, it wasn't even that I didn't have time. It was really at the end of the day that it was so stressful. Mm-hmm. It was so overwhelming. All of these clients want their cars right now. And A, I didn't know how to set expectations. Yeah. And so I'm not saying like, here's what I can do. And so they wanted their cars right now. The vendors wanted their money right now. The technicians wanted things to be better right now. Like there was this whole host of things pushing inward at all times. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to stop the madness. I wanted to slow things down so I felt like I could get my hand back around them. Okay? And so I, I, I specifically remember a couple of different situations where, like, that's literally what I was trying to do. I was, I was trying to, like, figure out if I slow this down, I can get back to where I can manage it again. And, and the problem is, is that that was only showing me what my management skills were. It was showing me what my potential was for managing. And I, if, if I knew then what I know now, I would have seen that I was lacking and I needed help and I needed information. I needed knowledge to be able to begin to put those pieces in place and say, okay, I can perform at a higher level with knowledge and information. I can consistently perform at this higher level. I can generate more revenue. I can do it without wanting to off myself because this is too stressful. And I can balance the shop and can take a deep breath here, right? I can leave for a day for God's sakes. I mean, does no one else think that it's a problem that shop owners say there's no way I could take a day off if you have a business and you can't take a day off something is effing wrong yeah 
Well, somebody and, posted that they hadn't had a day off in like what twenty some years or something. One day years. I was That's like, absolutely oh, I ridiculous. Think, I think oh, yeah. we block it off from being a private, uh, a prior technician. You know, as a technician, for me, when I start a job, I'm looking for that completion and that gratification, yeah. right? So, as we have a constant flow of cars coming through the shop, we're always looking for that end, right? But they're in a good shop. There should never there be should an never end, be right? an end, right? So, you know, I think that is maybe some uh, a bit of a fault that we carry as as past technicians yeah. turned business owners we, you know that post that they're talking about it very much sounded like that person wore that with a badge of honor yes i've not had a day off in 30 years uh all i'm trying to get is I'm days cool off with that. Uh, <laughs> hang on a minute well and i mean I, we somebody walked in we're gonna have them on the show tomorrow somebody walked in earlier and and they said i started this shop for freedom and really quickly realized that owning a business has nothing to do with freedom Mm -hmm. and so if you don't have that structure in your business you will not have freedom when you start it okay and my fear is and and we catch a lot of flack. There, there are five particular people that I can think of. We, we get hate from every direction. I'm completely good with it. It's okay. I don't, I don't mind at all. But, but there's five particular people who consistently get upset because we're encouraging people not to start shops. And what I wish they would understand is that the reason that we're saying that is because a lot of the people trying to start shops don't understand what they're getting into. And it is not, I don't want to say it's not all it's cracked up to be. It can be extremely rewarding. It can be a lot of fun. It can be very profitable. It can be an enjoyable process. But I am going to tell you that if you think there's not going to be struggles, if you think you're not going to have problems like you have working for someone else, if you think that you're going to have more freedom than what you have working for someone else, you're fooling yourself. I was caught off guard. Yeah. I was that guy for sure. And I had multiple shop owners that I worked for in private shops that said, you ain't ready, man. Yeah. I I, I thought I was ready. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready like, for none of it. I mean, I had been a technician. I had been a service writer. I had managed million and a half dollar shop, which with inflation is probably two and a half million dollar shop now. I'd managed, like I said, 22 technicians at one point. I knew what a PNL was. I, you know, yeah. I. You had a good education it, and it's still different. Yeah. It's still, it's a different world when it's your money, it's your name, and there's nobody else to make the decision. Yeah. When you have to hire somebody, when you have to fire somebody, when you have to sit there on a Friday night and decide, am I going to pay this bill or that bill? Yeah. And we all do that, so, no matter how successful. Yep. And and you can be extremely successful and still be there. And and I, I make jokes all the time about being up at 3 a.m. I mean, y'all get messages from no, me. No, you're at really 3 like up. Yeah. <laughs> like going making groups. I don't know if I I don't know if I can do this. Like this sucks. This is tough. I don't you know what I mean? Like you wake up and your heart's beating fast and you're hyperventilating. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Did I do this? Did that happen? Did this and and you can't control all of these things. Too and, much emotion. And and so we go into this and we think, huh, 
I don't ever want a boss again. Oh my God. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You start a business and you just got however big your customer list is that many bosses. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they're not reasonable. Some of them are. They're not always kind. They're not always respectful. Right. And you're, you're dealing with people who want something from you. And I, I just think that sometimes we miss the boat. We, we as shop owners, we come out here and we start these businesses and we go at it and we, you know, we're going to do this thing. And I think that a lot of times, so I think one of the personality things that makes a technician a good technician is a very linear thinking, yeah. very tunnel vision. It's like what Eric, Eric just made me think about this, what he said, yeah. I want the start and I want the end. Yeah. And that is a really bad characteristic for for a business <laughs> owner. Right. Yeah. Dang right. Because um, there is no end. No, and there's no linear progression. You have to think about at the same time that you're dealing with marketing and then you have to deal with a car and then you have to deal with this and you have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a visionary. I am not a creative person. I don't couldn't I couldn't give you a vision for my business. I'm a linear thinker. I do one step at a time. Fix the car. My my wife, though, she's very visionary, very creative. She's the one that helps me have a big picture. Yeah. Because I couldn't do it. I just, it's it's not in my personality. I've come to realize that there's things that I just am not good at. Right. So, and I think that that personality trait that makes people good technicians is a handicap that has to be overcome to become good shop owners. It's why I look at some of these people that came in from outside the industry. Yeah. Adam Rath. Oh man, they're always almost more successful. um, John Starkey. Yeah. You know, these, these are people that came in outside the industry and they had an idea about building a business as opposed to an idea like, I just want to fix a lot of cars or from my point of view, I ran out of people that I wanted to work for. You know, I'm the guy who said, I'm not working for that asshole anymore. As David would say, you're unemployable. Yes. (laughs) I'm very much unemployable. And that's why my business has to work because it would be an absolute disaster if I had to go back to work for anybody else. Right. So, you know, you, you have to, we have to learn, we have to be self-aware. We have to know, what we're good at and what we're bad at. Yeah. Um, Laura Lee's class today was really good for me because marketing is something I'm bad at. Right. Because I can't picture the whole thing. Yeah. I can picture I need to design a logo. I can't picture that my logo is only one part of the entire Yeah, the, the brand so itself, yeah. For me, I know that as I scale my shop, I'm going to have to hire people to do this stuff because I just can't do it. So that's the, and I've done the same thing and I I can do some of those things, but I found it was much easier to hire somebody than, than to try and do it myself. Yeah. Right. That's what they always preach. Delegation. Do what you don't want to, you know, hire what you don't want to do. So I, I guess kind of in closing, I want to ask you two both something individually. Um, you've been a moderator for ASOG for, let's see, almost four years now. Has it been that long? Wow, I think really? it's been that long because <laughs> wow. you came on right after I did. Okay. I'm pretty sure it's almost four years. I'll have to go back and look. Yeah. 
had a lot of discussions, seen a lot of stuff happen in that group. What would be your message to the members of those groups? You know, you see, you see some common themes over and over again. What would be your message to them? Listen to the people that have been there before. Nobody is picking on you because they're, they want to put you down. Yeah. We've all made the same mistakes and we just don't want to learn from our mistakes. You don't have to make yeah. them all yourself. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm, I'm right there with you. So many things and, and it often comes back. It's negative. It's this, it's that it's really not. No. You, you don't know the tone that they're saying it in. What they're doing is they're over there gritting their teeth, clenching their fists saying, please God, don't do that. Please God, don't do that. Please God, don't do that. You know, um, somebody, man, might've been Andrew Lear. Anyways, Somebody in one thread probably a couple of years ago now was dealing with a really hard-headed new shop owner. And he yeah. said, listen, my business is successful. I don't need to spend my time yeah. arguing with you. So I'm doing this to help you. Yeah. What, what benefit would it be for me just yeah. to stand here and argue, just to be an asshole? Why would I do that? doesn't make sense. The majority of the people in that group really are not being negative. They're trying to help, and they're working hard to help. Yes. Lola Larley, <laughs> what, what would be your one thing you'd want them to? Please use the search feature. <laughs> no. Uh, Did Dutch pay you for that? <laughs> no, but Dutch and I align a lot. <laughs> I think I was like his wife or something in a past life. <laughs> Give you a pat on the back. I'm used to it. <laughs> uh, no, but the same thing. Like, well, you know what? Even outside of like trusting everybody, my advice to some of these people would be get yourself some friends outside of the industry that run a different type of business yeah. or an executive friend to look in and have these conversations with you. Because as much as I love all of you and all of your perspectives, I get a lot of really great feedback on our business from my friends who don't work in automotives. And they keep me energized and they keep me excited and they keep me on track and they kick me in the butt when I'm messing up. Yeah. I've, I've got a really good friend of mine and um, he owns a big company. Okay. A while back, I, I think he said something to the effect of, well, I guess, you know, you've made it when you got four tugboats in your employee, right? <laughs> right? Like big company. And um, he was standing in my office one day and he's supposed to be picking up a car. He answers the phone. He stands there and he shakes his head. Okay, I'm on my way. Tell him to come get me and I'll get on the plane and we'll go. He walks off. Three weeks later, he comes back in, right? <laughs> kind of curious. Like friend? <laughs> what was that about? And he said, oh, we hired this guy back. We shouldn't have hired this guy back. He was working on a propane tank and broke the nozzle off the tank and doused himself in liquid propane, which then ignited and... You know, we should have we shouldn't have done this. And I told him we shouldn't have done this, so I had to go deal with that and visit the family and do all this stuff. And I'm thinking, holy cow, my problems don't seem nearly as big as they did just a few minutes ago. He's like, Man, he's like, you know, we're very careful and we're very precise, but this happens a lot. He's like, There, you know, you you've got three thousand people that work for you. There's gonna be mistakes. Always. And I'm over here <laughs> thinking, like, I'm worried about my guys, you know. Well, why did you why did you ruin that lug nut why couldn't you have like done something better to get it off why did you well it was swollen balls well i understand but i would have gotten it off and i'm thinking these are problems and this cat's over here 
having to go talk to families about the fact that that somebody had lost their life. And I'm thinking, you know what? My problems really are not as big as they seemed to be just a few minutes ago. And he looks at me, and I'll never forget this. He looks at me, and he said, son, let me tell you something. He said, with big money comes big problems. And you need to make a decision. Are you going to be able and willing to tolerate big problems that comes with big money? And he said, you know, this is just what it is. Mm. And he said, "You, you need to make that decision. And he said, if, if that makes you nervous, then I'm going to tell you right now, you should probably go get a job. Mm-hmm. Because he said, I, I, he said one day, he said, I, I pray to God it never happens. But he said, somebody's going to be back there working and something's going to happen to them. Something, they're, they're, you are always, and, and he's the one I, I get that term from, you're always on the razor's edge of life. Because you really are. You never know when something's going to happen. And if you can't stomach that, this the business is probably not for you, right? Oh, I think so many people think if I just get bigger, it'll get easier. No. Lord no, have mercy. It just gets harder and harder and harder. It, you can put more people in place to manage it. You can yeah, put more people in manage place them. to help. Right. <laughs> exactly. And and if and it's God forbid, I, I watched a shop and, and he knows I'm talking about him. And he listens and he's going to send me a message here. As soon as this comes out, I've watched a shop that was absolutely optimized to the T multiple locations smooth as can be and we've had some really hard conversations over the past couple of weeks because they lost some advisors and it set this thing in motion and now it's not like can't pay the bills but now all of a sudden technicians are upset because they're not getting the hours they were getting so instead of making 120 they're going to make 60 and so all of a sudden like this whole thing even though he's got great leadership structure and people in place to do all this Guess who gets to solve that problem? Yep. Yep. It, it doesn't. That doesn't go away, and that will never go away. And if you're expecting it to go away, you're fooling yourself. Exactly. Yep. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player, and don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.